Welcome to democracyonthemove.org, a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it toward its true democratic principles. Content for this episode was recorded on Sunday, July 18, 2021. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. Today we're talking with Sharif Snuggs, one of the organizers for the upcoming March for Medicare for All, which will take place in a city near you this Saturday, July 24. You can get more information on the march at m4m4all.org. That's m4m4all.org. Check it out and see if you can attend one of the marches. So what is March for Medicare for All? Well, it's a coalition of groups that are coming together for the common interest of raising awareness for the concept of universal single-payer health care, that is, Medicare. It is a nonpartisan coalition of groups that includes people includes uh, organizations like the People's Party, local Green Party affiliates, in fact, several local political affiliates. Uh, there's Move to Amend and regional health care groups and more. So here's a tragic reality that's central to this effort. It takes just one medical emergency to ruin your life financially speaking, even if you have insurance. Also, if you need a medical procedure, and even if you have the support of your doctor, your medical insurance company can always say no. On the contrary, the belief behind Medicare for All is that whatever you and your doctor decide is best for your health should be what is done. No preauthorizations, deductibles, or out-of-pocket expenses. And certainly, you shouldn't have to go bankrupt because you suddenly became sick and have an enormous medical bill to pay. Nor should you be allowed to die. Another tragic reality is this. Nearly 70,000 times a year, somebody dies because of the barriers to health care, barriers that have been put in place and maintained by the for-profit healthcare and insurance industries. Sharif Snuggs is a writer, director, producer, film critic, film critic, actor, and activist. His recognition as the 2018 winner of the Real Heart International Screenplay and TV Pilot Script Competition for his, innovation for, for his innovative horror film, Thy Will Be Done is just one example of Sharif's cinematic success. In 2019, he won the Beverly Hills Screenplay Contest for his drug drama film, There's Nothing There. Sharif attended the Digital Film Academy for Film Directing and LaGuardia Community College for, Medi- for Media Studies. Sharif, uh, Sharif Snugs, welcome to Democracy on the Move, and thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you. I've never had an introduction like that. That's amazing. Oh, we should have some theme music going in the background then, too, I suppose. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> so here's a, I'm kind of curious. Every, let's get to this first. Every, everyone has a life journey. Um, yours has taken you from just about every aspect of filmmaking uh, to activism. So uh, before we get started talking about the details of medical, medical, Medicare for All, um, tell us a bit about your, your personal journey here from filmmaker to activist and specifically to the March for Medicare for All. I think um, art is activism in a weird way, if you kind of think about it. I think that um, uh, poets, writers, comedians, people who are in the arts, we have an interesting perspective on the culture and that was that's reflected through art you know a lot of times filmmakers we will um say um what people are feeling in our community and our society and get it out there um we have hopefully we have the opportunity to help shape hearts and minds um so i kind of feel that you know filmmaking and activism kind of goes hand in hand in an interesting way art in general um how I got here specifically as an activist and organizer, that's really, is completely new to me. Um, I really got into activism due to COVID. And you know, 
Bernie Sanders said, now wasn't time for Medicare for all. I just felt like that's like a red flag. But like most people, I didn't really jump out and say, hey, I'm going to be an activist. I kind of waited. Um, I wanted to see like where what, what would be next from this move. Um, but when forced to vote happened, I felt, well, maybe this is what Bernie Sanders was saying. Now wasn't the time. Maybe there's a backroom strategy of some type of deal that, you know, that the progressives and the Democrats was, you know, more or less was thinking about pushing Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. And then when forced to vote failed and it didn't happen, I said, well, there isn't a backroom strategy. There isn't a deal. These people are not working for us. These people don't care. Um, so we need to do something. But I, ultimately, I wasn't like thinking about like, oh, um, I'm going to organize a march and get people to do it. I said, I'm going to go contact People's Party members. I'm going to go contact Green Party members, our revolution. Mm-hmm. I would go to these different organizations and ask them, what is your strategy? What is your plan? Forced to vote failed. We're in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? How are you going to get people health care? And it seemed like no one was leading any efforts. Um, no one wanted to do anything. Um, so I said, well, we have to, I said, well, I talked to different people from different um, groups from different organizations. One, one of the groups I've spoke to was um, Force to Vote group. Um, I met Ricky Dunlop, who um, who has a lot of experience with going, being an activist and organizer, and going to a lot of marches and going to a lot of rallies and stuff like that. I've gone to protests before, but I've never organized protests. I've gone to show solidarity and help out, mm-hmm. but never to organize and never do anything profound as anything like what we're doing right now. Um, so Ricky was like kind of like the first. Um, Kind of like my first doorway and then like meeting renee johnson who also was part who was part of people's party um and just meeting other activists and organizers like um savage joy and lauren feldman from red berets and this really catapulted into something else when i was able to meet and speak to different organizers and activists on twitter on facebook going to their zoom meetings uh, meeting people through email um this is really this is really just me just being very dogmatic about organizing a march um, really started all this, you know, because first we was only going to do only one march. Mm-hmm. It was only in D.C. Um, when April came around, we had three marches. Wow. And then from April to now, we have 51 marches. So this goes back to what I'm saying that artists, we as artists, we're, and Ricky's an artist too. He's an actor. Um, so it goes back to what I'm saying. Artists, we, we have our finger on the pulse. We actually feel what the country's feeling, you know, even Susan Sarandon, she's, an, you know, she's an activist. She's not, she's an actress. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm just throwing out there, Michael Moore, a filmmaker, also an activist, you know, so it goes back to my point that we feel it, you know, we actually were aware of what's going on. And so I feel that like we have an interesting perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why all of this is happening is because as artists, we we're we're in tune, you know, we we're in tune and we pay attention and we always want to create and we always want to figure out what's the next story. So that's a little bit part of that as well. But all in all, I feel that that's what really catapult is the spirit of like us all being in tune, all just working together to really address people's concerns. Because at the, you know, I don't feel that what we're doing is genius. I know a lot of people give a lot of people gave me a lot of good, nice compliments and I really appreciated that. uh, Even Renee was said, you gotta be, you need to stop being so modest, Sharif. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) And I, and I told her that I don't feel that what we're doing is special because if COVID didn't happen, mm-hmm. I don't think this movement would have been as big. I really don't. I think COVID was a signal to a lot of people that their politician and their government do not care. Joe Biden is telling people to get vaccinated. We have this new COVID variant out there and he still refuses to do Medicare for all. 
And so they're only doing it to themselves. I'm not growing this movement. They're growing this movement. Every time a politician says no to Medicare for all, every time a politician ignores COVID, every time a politician does not endorse and sponsor and get involved and help people, they're growing this movement, you know? Hmm. So yeah. on one hand, you know, I'm happy that we're growing the movement, but on the other hand, I'm really bothered by the fact we have to grow this movement because no one has, no one should have to go through a pandemic to, to get, to this get point, their concerns yeah. addressed yeah. because now we're applying pressure and we're not, and we're getting big mad and we're not, uh, we're not going away. It's going to be here for a long time, but you know, before the pandemic, you know, I'm probably, I'm, I know I'm probably saying a mouthful, but before the pandemic, I did, I didn't, I would never, you would have told me if I was going to be an activist or organizer, I would have told you, no, that's not possible. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I had plans on pursuing my film career and doing more things in film. And even after the March, I do have other goals and aspirations around film, but now that activism is kind of like my new home, it kind of like shapens kind of like what projects and stuff are probably doing and private projects and stuff I want, I want to work on. That's interesting. You say art is activism. That's a good take on it because to be a true artist, you have to understand the human condition, the human story. And no, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You can't, uh, once you understand it, you can't turn your back on it and just, you know, treat it as a, strictly as a business or something. Your business really is, you know, the human story. So this uh, makes sense. Um, you said something interesting, too. You said, uh, I want to make sure this is correct. <clears throat> you said at one point that, that Bernie is now not, is saying that now is not the time for Medicare for All. Is that uh, what you yeah, said? Yeah, so if you go back early in March, I think um, February or March, Mm-hmm. of last year and i can look and i'll find the video and i can um tag you in later and show you the video when bernie sanders said now is not the time for medicare for all that was a huge red flag for me yeah. um um my personal opinion about the progressive caucus in general i feel they're a shield for the establishment and here's why i say they're a shield for the establishment mm-hmm. i know several people not only in my family but also in my community that will not pressure Bernie Sanders, that will not pressure Nina Turner, they will not pressure AOC, they will not pressure any squad member, anybody who's dubbed themselves progressive because they're progressive. They feel that they're already working for me. They're already on my behalf. Yeah, they already told yeah. me. They Problems told taken me that, care of. Oh, yeah. The jobs are taken care of. What, yeah. what more do you want? They're doing it. I know people already say AOC is already on it. She's on the job. Why are we doing the march for her? Why are we doing a rally for her? Why are we doing this? They're working for us. So even if AOC has the best intentions, even Bernie Sanders has the best intentions, even Newton has the best intentions, I just want them, they will, and they will never acknowledge this or care to acknowledge it, but I know people as a fact will never tell AOC do a better job or here's a better strategy or let's try this because they feel that the Progressive Caucus is already doing the job and why do I need to go out there and march and rally and and do phone banking and write letters and doing any of that stuff. They don't, they don't think it's necessary because they feel it's counterproductive. They feel like they're the leaders. They're doing the job. They feel mm-hmm. if anything, we should pressure Republicans. They don't think that pressuring um, mm-hmm. um, progressives is a, is a necessary strategy. They feel that the job is already being taken care of. Why do that? And it, that's actually a fundamental misunderstanding of democracy in general, because I've always said democracy is a team sport. You can't turn your back on anything. It demands that every citizen participate 
And if you're not getting what you want, you make it known. I mean, I guess this is where Medicare for all, the March for Medicare for all is coming from, right? No, absolutely. It is absolutely. And people think that I have like a personal ax to grind against AOC or I don't like her or like, I don't like any of these people. Full disclosure, I don't like any politician, no matter if you're Republican or Democrat, if you're not addressing the needs of the people, whether you have good intentions or not, if someone's dying on the side of the road, I always make this analogy, I don't care if you give lip service to that person dying on the side of the road or you just ignore them. The fact of the matter is, if that person's dying on the side of the road and and your argument is, I got your back and you still don't do anything, you're just as bad as anybody else. And so it doesn't really matter what you say, you're not addressing the needs of the people, you're not doing a good job. You just you just suck at your job. And I don't care if anyone doesn't like that. I don't care if people get mad at me. You know, I'm not going to apologize for that. I just feel that I have a lot of people in our coalition who can die tomorrow. I'm not saying that to gain sympathy or, you know, put anyone's business out there. I'm just telling you that we have people who have um, serious health um, conditions and, you know, God bless them that they're able to donate a lot of time and energy into the March for Medicare for all. But when I see that, that just says to me that, you know, these politicians don't care because you're literally telling your countrymen that, you know, that's your fault and that's your problem. Whether whether you whether you believe it or not, if you're not fighting for them, then what do you you're not really you're not you're you're not mm-hmm. addressing their issues either. You know, I just feel that we need to foster a community um, you know, state um nationally that when one person's hurting in California, it affects someone in New York. And I think that we're, we don't have that kind of like, we don't have that spirit. And I really want us to kind of have that. That's kind of like my goal, yeah. my end goal for March Maker for All is to have a sense of solidarity across the country. We need to have a, we need to foster a system that when, you know, when the arm is, when your arm is hurt, when, it, when you're, when you when you when you broken arm when you broken arm the whole body feels it yeah. and that, the part of this in, in this country you know if California is doing bad that's not my issue yeah. you know we're yeah. one body we're one, you know, we're one country we need to not have that attitude yeah I think that attitude is, is um, I, I'm going to be a little bit cynical here but I think that attitude is promoted by a lot of the politicians themselves you know don't pay attention sure. to what we're doing we're taking care of everything for you be you know be complacent. And boy, oh boy, I mean, bad no, stuff starts to happen at that point, right? Not only Medicare for all or healthcare industry, but just about any industry out there is going to completely take advantage of you. And Oh, absolutely. I feel that the most important fight is healthcare in this country. And here's why I say that, because other countries that have healthcare, when they do a march or a protest or a rally or do anything against the establishment, they have their healthcare. They're not really worrying about, oh my God, I can't do that action because I'm sick or ill. Once we get healthcare in this country... That's a huge win, not just for the left, but for the whole country to fight for other issues like climate change or defund the police or, you know, a bunch of any other items. I think the reason why, um, you know, the opposition is so, so strong against healthcare in this country, because they know that, Mm -hmm. you know, once people are healthy, think about it, a a person who's healthy can go out and fight. You're not healthy. You can't go out and fight. Yeah. You know what I mean? So once you're healthy, forget about it. All bets are off. So... They're not. They're, that's one thing that they don't want to give us. They don't want to give us healthcare because that opens the floodgates for everything else. Yeah. Everything else we can ask for. We can ask for other things, and we'll get it. We'll get it once we have healthcare for sure. Yeah, that's part of. Uh, I guess isn't that Maslow's pyramid of human needs or something like that, where um, 
the very bottom of the, the very base of the pyramid is um, having, you know, food, shelter, clothing, and, and health, right? And then mm. once those needs are met, you start working on, on upper layer needs you know, all, all the way right. up to like, you know, um, uh, like self-actualization at the very top. So, yeah, I mean, if people are struggling all the time, then uh, they're going to they're gonna, you know, focus on that and they're not going to focus on the big picture. It's a good point. Nope, not at all. So you have, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, I detect a lot of, I wouldn't say anger, but I mean, you're, you're very passionate about this. And uh, you, prior to our, uh, to going on the air here, you had sent me an email about the demands for the U.S. government. And what, so give us an idea of what your, what your demands are at this point. Um, so we have three main demands. The first demand is that we demand that um, the United States government offer um, provide a national healthcare system for every single American, regardless of their sex, creed, um, gender identity, um, citizenship. That means undocumented intermarriages as well. Mm -hmm. um, the whole shebang. We just want, you know, I don't have the um, demands list on me. I posted it the other day on um, actionnetwork.org. Um, but the first demand is to make sure we have a single payer system, free at the point of service that covers a, a buttload of things. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Number two is that we want the United States government to recognize healthcare as a human right. We want that passed mm -hmm. as well. Um, it's one thing to offer a healthcare system, but another thing to not recognize it as a human right. So we want that written down as well. Um, we, we don't want just lip service. We want, we want that. We don't want that to be just a sloganeering. We want that to actually be a, a little law of the land, healthcare as a human right, full stop. And the third and the most important thing is that that the federal government prioritize healthcare first above all, all anything else? We're talking about war budget, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. The most money, money that goes first in the budget for federal the federal government has to be health first. Has mm -hmm. to be before any before any other spending. If you don't spend money on health first, there's a problem. Yeah. So that should be so. Those are the three main demands. And if the United States government do not adhere to these demands by August six. We are going to file a human rights um, violation against the United States government for not offering health care as a human right to its citizens. That's my goal. Oh, okay. Yeah. It may not, it may, we may not get anywhere, but at least that we tried. Well, you That's know, it's, yeah, you, it, the, these things take time, but this is good that you got to keep the pressure up, right? So, yeah, right. you're right. It may not go anywhere, but you're going to get a lot of, a lot more recognition. But the, I mean, the, the fact that Medicare for all is already very popular with, with most people, isn't that correct? Yes, it is. It's 70% of Americans want health care. And that just proves that we don't live in a democratic society. I, have to, I go through this conversation with people all the time. And I don't understand how people, I guess I can understand, but I don't understand how people don't understand how, what democracy is. And so I love direct democracy. Um, pretty much whole Washington is pretty much doing that. Um, they're doing their ballot initiative in the state of whole Washington for us or their version of a single payer system. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people that if the American people want something and there's a, but that means it's not, that's not means it's not democracy. Democracy doesn't come with a, but, mm -hmm. But this, but that. We have to look at this. We have to look at that. There's no looking at anything. You know, we already have the money for it. We can afford it. Um, the lie that we can't afford it, it's a, it's, it's a sham. Um, and at the end of the day, if the American people want something and if we're not getting it, we're being screwed. And yeah. people need to look at it that way. And that's something that, again, that's another one of my goals 
is to get people to realize that if there's a if there's a but with with a majority, there you're being screwed. You're someone's grifting you. That's a grift, and they're not they're not a serious person. They're not an adult, and they're lying to you. Democracy democracy shouldn't come with a but. Should mean an asterisk with democracy, and that's the problem. We've lived in a society where there's always been, and we need to change that. Mm-hmm. And we need to focus on a system where we can get direct democracy in the working place as well. That's another thing we need to do. Because something I was something I was telling people as well, like I can vote for the president of the United States, but I cannot vote for my manager at my job. Mm-hmm. That sounds that doesn't make sense to me. And it lets me know that who's really in charge? Corporations, you know, money rules, you know, mm-hmm. and and um and politicians don't. You know, they're being financed by big donors. Right. And I think that once we get democracy in the workplace, I think then we'll we'll, ha- we'll have a we'll have a country that won't prioritize. Uh, there won't oh, there won't be no financial incentive on health because that won't be that won't that won't be an issue anymore. There's a lot of things that need to be solved, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to throw a butt in here, um, but there there but there it goes. I just said it again. Um, Love that. <laughs> it just slipped out. Uh, there's a lot of issues to resolve, and I, I, I'm trying to organize my thoughts here. But I, I I'll start with what Bernie Sanders, the way he stumbled during his last uh, or one of his debates for the for for president, and he was asked directly, "Will uh, will Medicare for all cost more for the average American?" And I was disappointed that he stumbled on that answer because to me the answer is obvious. He should have said no. And there would have been gasps from the audience like, oh, we know our taxes are going to go up. But here's that but again. The reality is that uh, I'll take my own paycheck as an example. Um, I pay about uh, per year. I pay out of my own paycheck. uh, Let me see. It's about, uh, well, $144 a month, which is my contribution to my own health care, which covers myself and my wife. My employer is very generous. They kick in about $1,000 a month. Also, I have a $6,000 deductible. So, um, you know, we've had our health challenges in the past. Uh, when my son, before he turned 26, he was on my account, and he came down with uh, type 1 diabetes. So that was a very expensive thing. But th- the bottom line is that we pay, between myself and my employer, about $20,000 basically per year to cover both of us, my wife and me. So that's uh, and that's keeps in with the uh, from my research I've done. Uh, this is quite a while ago, but it sticks in my head here. My research is about ten to eleven thousand dollars per person is what it costs for healthcare overall. If you if you take everything that's spent on healthcare divided by the number of people that are partaking in the in the in the in the program, it works out to about ten or eleven thousand dollars a year. That is the tax that is on every single individual out there. And that's right. where that's where Bernie stumbled, in my opinion, because you know other countries, uh, Germany. In my research, uh, Germany was around five or six thousand dollars per person, because of the efficiencies that they have um, in their healthcare system. Um, it's not perfect, right? I mean, there are probably still some issues if you look into the German healthcare system as well. But uh, on a on a cost basis, it actually is very cost effective, Medicare for all. And I think that that point kind of got missed by Bernie. I thought, hey, come on, Bernie, this is this is the number one thing we need to talk about. And he, he, he stumbled through it very badly, I thought. Um, yeah. 
So no, it, I, no, I agree. And those those are things that I think. And I, the reason why I present that as a but is because the the argument has to be made very very clear about how we go about financing this thing because uh, people are going to accuse you of things like, well, Medicare for all is socialism. So, um, you know, what do we say about that sort of thing? So we have to have ready answers for those. But while we're at it, right. let me ask you that question. What do you, what do you do when people say Medicare for all is socialism? What, what would be your response to that? We'll say what's the problem. That's what I would say. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Right. I don't, I don't see, I don't, I, when people throw out, and say Medicare for all, socialism, so is the police department, so is the fire department, so is the parks and recreation, so is military. You know, the bridges. Yeah, yeah military, yeah. that's socialism, absolutely. So I just really don't understand that concept. I just think that um, we're listening to the certain talking points mm-hmm. of mainstream media. And, you know, my aunt, I go through this problem with my aunt. My aunt, you know, she really doesn't like what I'm doing. She knows what I'm organizing, she knows what I'm doing. And she really hates it because she really thinks that, um, not because of the whole social angle, she really thinks I'm going to bankrupt the American people. <laughs> oh, she was yeah, like, you're, yeah. you're going you're gonna to make us pay more taxes, Sharif. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, she goes, of course, they're going to give it to us because we're going to pay more money for it. So she actually thinks I'm going to be successful for the other reason. She thinks I'm going to be successful, but that's going to, the government's going to charge us more money now. Yeah. That's what she believes. Yeah. So. Yeah, it, it, I could actually make an argument that if we pay less taxes and that therefore it's actually more of a conservative uh, argument could be presented that says, look, you're going to pay ten or $11,000 per year per person right now, or if we, if we can get Medicare for all and implement it in an, in an efficient way. And there's some challenges there. There's going to be a lot of challenges there. I mean, you have to negotiate with hospitals and things like that. Well, now all that gets straightened out, you're going to be paying a lot less. And to me, you know, that would be my argument was like, why do you why do you want to uh, support a a system of insurance companies out there where the where the CEOs are pulling in hundred million dollar salaries and they're vacationing on their boats in the South Pacific. And and, you know, we're still struggling to put together two pennies to to eat to you know, we got to make a decision. Are we going to buy our insulin or are we going to buy food? You know, so And, um, and you have people like my aunt who feels like those people aren't that. She feels they work hard and she believes those old talking points of like these people will work hard to earn the salary they want. And yeah. you, if you're mad because you can't afford your health care, go out there and get a job. You know, <laughs> yeah. he, he's one of yeah. those people who really feels that way. And it lets you know that we still have that in our society. We have people who have fostered that kind of, of kind of foster that sentiment that your health care is your problem. You did it. You, you caused it to yourself. Mm-hmm. And we have to rec- we have to educate those folks and let them know that that's not even true. That's fur- that's furthest from the truth. I gave you an example, and I I, I talked about this in a, um, another podcast. So I live in Queens in New York City, and um, there were four hospitals in Queens near my um, old neighborhood in St Albans, mm-hmm. and now there's two. And the two hospitals that replaced they replaced I think with a building. Uh, either a building, some I think either a, a complex or another um, some type of like um, corporate restaurant. I think a Starbucks or something like that. One of those kind of one of, one of those um, basically, a, basically another franchise or some other corporate place to make money. So it lets you know our country is more incentivized on corporate greed than actual 
you know, the well-being of the American people. And when you tell people this, because they said, I don't see the link between, you know, the CEO making X amount of dollars, at, you know, or, you know, these yachts that people are getting, all these, um, you know, pharmaceutical companies getting and shutting down the hospital. They don't see the correlation. I says, well, this is in their best interest to make sure that they've um, stuffed the pockets of, you know, corporations. You mm-hmm. know, that's their interest. You know, hospitals don't make, you know, the community, you know, the community or the uh, the free market more money. You know, Starbucks does. You know, Amazon right. does. You know, places like that. So there's an incentive there, and that people don't want to address. You know, that. You know, and then I live in a. Um, uh, poor and black and brown community neighborhood, which was also always hit mostly by, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're always hit by, you know, those kind of economic issues. And if you don't connect those dots, or if you're not paying attention to connect those dots, you're just kind of not aware of that. You just don't, you know, people don't, people don't pay attention to that. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it's like, mm-hmm. you, we have to get to a, a point of what we start asking, why other countries have certain things and why America don't? Mm-hmm. Why is it that France and all these other developed countries have healthcare and we do not? Why do we why why do we believe that? Because I had a discussion with my aunt about that and she refused to answer those questions. And you know, she thinks a lot of that's just like a mis disinformation. She thinks we're all conspiracy theorists. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, so that's a tough thing to fight. You know, I, I always go back to the Latin phrase "e pluribus unum," right? And it, we're all in the same boat. And when, when I, I think what you said before, if you break an arm, the, the rest of your body feels it. Why? Well, I, I think you know, if there's a hole in the boat, no matter how big the boat is, uh, everybody's going to go down with it. And, no, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah. So, so yeah, you mentioned the 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 uh, hospitals in your area there. I I right now I'm residing near St. Louis, Missouri, and um, I've learned you know I've dug into Missouri politics quite a bit lately. There has mm-hmm. been over 14 closures of rural hospitals in uh, the Missouri area here. Now, rural hospitals are fairly important, um, especially if you're out on the farm and you get in an accident with a combine harvester or something like that. I mean, you got you need detention right away. Uh, wow. Despite what people say, farm work is extraordinarily dangerous. And, right. um, you know, if you don't have that medical attention right away, well, what happens is... Um, Either A, you die, or B, you, you, you pay through the nose for an ambulance ride to one of the big cities where they can take care of you. Um, and even normal things like that, that happen, you know, you get uh, maybe a, a heart attack or maybe have um, kidney failure or something. You know, th- these are things that, that, um, that the rural hospitals just aren't there to service the community. And yet, if you talk to a lot of the rural people, they, they say the same thing as your aunt. It's like, uh, you know, well, you know, you didn't work hard enough or your health is your problem. And I come back with e pluribus unum. Are we going to have a country or not? You know, are we going to take care of our citizens or not? And, uh, yeah, this is, this is an expression of that. I, I I completely agree. So, um, yeah. And also I, um, I don't know if you ever saw, um, this thing went viral about this girl, this little girl who's selling lemonade, um, to, um, help her brain cancer or brain surgery or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. And I was showing my aunt, I was like, so look at this family. Look what this family is going through right now. You know, this mother and father and his family putting all this money to, to help their child. It did nothing wrong. It did everything. Our society, our community, did, we were, this person got a good paying job. He was like, how? He said, go out there and get a job. She got a job. She went to school. She got her degree. She got everything she was supposed to. Her daughter gets this disease now. And now she's like, I was like, is she supposed to die now? 
and she's yeah. supposed to die. Right. You know, answer that, and she went, my aunt would refuse to answer that question because I was, you know, I answered it for her. She didn't want to say, she didn't want to say the quiet part aloud. She's going to say yes. I know she would mm-hmm. because it would make her look like a monster. And if you ask anybody who feel, has a strong stance against Medicare for all, if you ask them if your little girl was going to die because they had some rare disease and using a, or should you go bankrupt? Yeah. They won't answer the question. I guarantee you take a poll in your neighborhood. I don't care where you are. Mm-hmm. You take a poll and ask them, hey, your child, your loved one has a rare disease. They're going to die, right? You can't afford it. Should that person die or should the government step in? They, won't, they will either ignore you, refuse to answer the question, and if they're brave enough to answer the question, I guarantee you they're yeah. going to say no. Guarantee they're going to say no. And this this is the battle. I mean, this 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 is this is the fight that's taking place in this country right now to convince people of this reality. Um, and I think this word, the March for Medicare for All, really fits into raising that awareness because you know, you you get a lot of people out there that 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 don't comprehend or you don't even internalize this issue. I mean, COVID has brought us to that point, but I got another story, which I, I, I relate to on, on a different podcast. Uh, in 2018, I was doing a lot of work, groundwork for the Democratic Party, handing out materials, and I knocked on like 500 doors, and I came across some very interesting people. One of the guys was, uh, was a Harley, uh, he was on his Harley bike, and he said, hey, what are you doing in my neighborhood, you know, and he starts talking to me, and, and to find out that he's an ex-con, and he says, yeah, I'm not supposed to have guns, but I got one on me. And he's showing me his gun and everything. And I'm like, okay, what's he trying to prove, you know? But uh, but we started talking about Medicare for all. And he says, I don't need that. He said, I don't care if I die. And this is, you know, okay, you get, in a, you get in a motorcycle accident and you're on the side of the road. Should I just kick your carcass to the side of the road and keep going? He says, yeah, I don't care. I says, great. Now, what about your son? <laughs> or what about your wife? If they, do you want me to kick their carcass to the side of the road? And, and suddenly his eyes light up. It's like, you know, maybe my argument isn't going to go very far because, you know, he may not care about himself so much. Maybe he thinks he's okay, but uh, you can't say the same thing about your loved ones. And right. that, that's, uh, you know, I've, I alluded to this earlier. My son had uh, type 1 diabetes, and um, I was thankful at the time that I was A, I was employed, and B, uh, that even though he was 23, he was able to uh, take advantage of my health care. Um, right. And but, you know, if I didn't have that job, uh, that would have been a fifty thousand dollar bill. Um, right. he, well, he came down with, with uh, something called Addison's disease as well, which is um, life threatening mm-hmm. as well. But these are the things that, that this happens to people. And uh, so that's the uphill battle. I think you, I, I think March for Medicare for all is, is definitely a part of that. Um, I know you do have to get going pretty soon, but I do want to do one more thing here. Uh, call to action. Um, at the top of the show, I announced, you know, where people can get more information on the upcoming March for Medicare, uh, March for Medicare for All, I should say. The website is M4M All. No, I'm sorry, M4M for All. Uh, it's a really difficult one for me to say for some reason. M4M for All. That's the letter M, number four, letter M, number four, A-L-L dot O-R-G. Um, you can go there and get updated on uh, the march that's coming up this Saturday and find out where there's a march near you. There's, uh, what did you say, there's 51 of them all across the there's country? There's 51 marches now, and we're still collecting donations. Okay. Um, so we, um, it takes um, many hands make light work, and those many hands, we do hope they can be small dollar donations. Um, we definitely need them. 
And if you would like to donate to Pacific March, just put the city that you want to donate to. When you donate on the website, we will spend that that money will go directly to that march. That's the best. That's the best way to do that. Um, otherwise, if you donate just without putting a city, we Alec, we share that money out between all fifty-one marchers. Okay, and yeah. I think uh, at the DC march, isn't Marion Williamson going to be there as one of the speakers? Is yes, we have Marion Williamson. We have Laura Felden from the Red Berets. We have Dr. Joe Jarvis. We have Lee Camp. Savage Joy. Um, we have um, Reverend Annie Chambers um, from the Black um, from Black Panthers and um, from the Poor People's Campaign. Um, so we have a stack house. We have like 15 speakers. It's pretty phenomenal. I'm excited. Um, New York is gonna New York is gonna be huge as well. We're gonna have a thousand. We're gonna have like we're gonna have like over a thousand people in for New York, for for DC, for Chicago, for LA, um, for Seattle. It's wow. we're um I'm pretty impressed. Even Phoenix is going to have like over 500 um attendees. Wow! It's, uh, I'm wow. I never wow. in a, never in a million years I'd imagine to have this kind of grassroots effort to 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 be to be seen, and um, I'm excited to be a part of it. You know, yeah. when, when I first when I first thought about this, we didn't think about having as many marches. It happened because we was thinking about how we're going to afford to get people there. Mm-hmm. Um, we was like we can't afford to bus people there, and then. You know, we started thinking about it. I was like, the best way to do it is like everyone has their own solidarity event. We all come together all on the same day, all getting loud, all getting proud and asking for health care. Because another thing is, too, and I was talking to some of my buddies about this. I was like, it was like, D.C. got to be the event. D.C. got to be the main event. I said, I disagree. I disagree with you. I said, I disagree with this idea that um, we got to be in D.C. to make the biggest noise possible. I feel the whole country now needs to do that. I said, if you have one event in DC, it just looks like, you know, from my opinion, it just looks like one small group is upset. Yeah. But the whole country is marching. The whole country is getting loud. Yeah. That's a whole nother conversation. And we got a lot of people who's gonna be live streaming these marches too. That's like another key thing. So we got documentation, we got data now. So anyone who's saying, oh, these marches were small and no one came out, mm-mm. we're gonna have people who are live streaming. I'm hoping everyone bring out their camera phone. I want everyone to take as much photos and pictures as possible. We're gonna be mm-hmm. recording. We got Kenny Ballantyne who's doing a documentary on healthcare. I've actually had the pleasure of being interviewed by him. Um, he's gonna be he's gonna be at several of these marches and he's gonna have boots on the ground recording. So we're gonna have evidence. So anyone who's claiming that these marches are going to be small and the attendees are, are not real, we're going to have the proof to prove that. Yeah, and use that evidence then to contact your state representative, your state senator, your your U.S. representative right. or senator, and let them know, man, this is on our minds. You know, we got to right. keep this, keep the ball moving here. Even Honolulu, Hawaii, is on that list too, which I was surprised to see. Right. So that's um, right. it, it really is. Yeah, it yeah. Is. And- Graham Elwood, um, who has his own podcast on political vigilante, he's going to be a speaker at um, uh, for the Honolulu in Hawaii, which is fantastic. Wow, that's great. That's wonderful. We've we've been talking with Sharif Snugs, writer, director, producer, film critic, actor, and activist, and one of the organizers for the Saturday's March for Medicare for All. Sharif, thank you very much for joining us and letting our listener letting our listener audience uh, know all about the march and the Medicare for All effort in general. Oh, thank you. I mean, you're you're a hero as well. I mean, at the same time, the fact that you're allowing other voices to hear this is, is truly astounding. That's how the, that's how the work is done. 
You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its true democratic principles. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any suggestions for stories and or people you think we should cover at Democracy on the Move, please contact us through our website contact page at democracyonthemove.org contact. That's all one word, democracy on the move. Or send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org. You can also comment on our Twitter page at All on the Move. If you find today's podcast interesting and informative, please tell your friends and family about us. And if you would like to help sponsor the podcast at Democracy on the Move, please contact us through the website or email. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode.